0: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash stuff.
1: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored. Like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at Rico.com.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry. Jerry
2: placebo do
1: mm. no
2: no no that was bad chuck yes have you ever heard of the word placebo
1: deucer? <laughs> yeah i put placebo you know what i mean
2: i do Ooh, oh. uh, tell everybody i shall see no i will please i shall please that's what i meant <laughs> i shall see yeah we'll see about that <laughs> i shall please is what i meant in latin Yes.
1: Right. So placebo. Everybody's heard of a placebo and very famously the placebo effect. You want to know where that comes from? The placebo effect?
2: No, the word placebo. Oh, yeah. Um, 14th century, it referred to hired mourners at funerals. What? They would hire mourners in place of family members. And they would start their morning wailing with, uh, not mourning, but as in... M-O-U-R. Right. With placebo domino in region vivorum, uh, which means I shall please the Lord in the land of the living. Uh, but in that it means placebo, uh, this article said it carries the connotation of substitution. Weird. Yeah. That is fantastic stuff. I thought so. This is from placebos and placebo effects in medicine colon historical overview by Tissen, Kapchuk, Green, and legion. Oh, Kapchuk. That guy
1: is high quality. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A lot of Ted, skeptics. Ted, uh, Ted Kap- Kap- yeah. Chuck? He's at Harvard. Let me tell you a little bit about Ted Kapchuk. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> of <laughs> the Coney Island capchucks <laughs> I just
1: raised a lot of skeptics hackles because some people see him as a huckster or a fraud or everything that's wrong with placebos. These people um, would probably... Have a problem with us even talking seriously about the placebo effect in the first place. Yeah. So I don't know that it's a really big deal that I just raised their hackles. Okay. But Ted Kapchuk is a former. Owes me 50 bucks. <laughs> right. Let me tell you about Kapchuk. Yeah. Now he's a former acupuncturist. Ah. And he, uh, apparently had some sort of, um, epiphany one day when he was, he was treating somebody. And they started to feel better before he'd even used the acupuncture. Huh. So he started wondering, like, okay, wh- what's going on here? And yeah. he started investigating the placebo effect. And in short order, he ended up as an instructor at Harvard and became one of the leading researchers into the placebo effect which is a really strange journey because Harvard Medical School doesn't usually hire acupuncturists. Yeah. And he had like kind of a rocky road at first. Like he didn't know what he was doing with clinical trials. And he got publicly called out in the New England Journal of Medicine. And um, over the years, over the decades, I think this is the 80s that he um, really started to look into it. He, um, like I said, became the foremost researcher in in. Coming up with quality clinical trials huh. for trying to get to the root of what the placebo effect is
2: and how to use it. What years was that? Do you know? Well, he's still doing it. Oh, but when was this when he was started all that stuff? At Harvard he got in called
1: Indiana. out in, I think, a 2001 issue of oh, wow. the New England Journal of Medicine, um, basically for not using a control group in his placebo study. Okay. So, you know, when you, you do a study, you have a placebo group, which is your control group. Yeah. And that basically is, I'm giving you real medicine, but I'm giving Jerry a sugar pill. Yeah. And in a proper study, I don't know who's getting the sugar pill and who's getting the medicine.
2: It's called double blind.
1: Right. Um, so in a, if you're studying just the placebo effect, I should be giving you a placebo and I should be giving Jerry no treatment whatsoever to truly.
2: I thought you needed three people, one with a real treatment, one with placebo and one with no treatment.
1: It's another way to do it. Oh, okay. At the very least, though, you need the placebo group and somebody who's receiving no treatment. Gotcha. You see?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If we're skinning cats. Well, if
1: you're doing good science yeah. <laughs> researching into the placebo effect.
2: But what's
1: ironic is, is this whole double-blind placebo study mm-hmm. <clears throat> came about because the placebo effect was first noticed by a Western practitioner by the name of Dr. Henry Beecher who in World War II supposedly saw a nurse give a shot of saline to a soldier because they'd run out of morphine. But the nurse told them it was morphine, and the soldier responded to this shot of saline like it was morphine. And from that, Beecher was like, what is going on here? Started to investigate the placebo effect and ended up proposing the double-blind placebo study to prove the efficacy of
2: drugs. It goes back further than that, my friend. Let's hear it, man. Uh, try 1785. The New Medical Dictionary, they described the placebo as a commonplace method or medicine. And then a short time later, in 1811, in Quincy's lexicon uh, medicum, he defined the placebo as an epithet given to any medicine adapted more to please than to benefit the patient.
1: Like heroin.
2: So they were on it. Back in the early 1800s, which is surprising.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, like, that's the basis of, like, snake oil and hucksterism, right?
2: Yeah. Well, they called them bread pills back then because I guess it was it was probably some sort of, like, pill made of yeast is my guess. Okay. Uh, and Thomas Jefferson in 1807 even uh, uh, recorded what he called the pious fraud. And he observed, quote, that one of the most successful physicians I've ever known has assured me that he used more bread pills, drops of colored water, and powders of hickory ash than all other medicines put together. Um, and people treated people with bread pills in the early 1800s. It was a thing. And like they were way on to the placebo effect and, and the fact that it seemed to work. Uh, and another dude named John Haygarth in the early 1800s, uh, actually started performing the first studies on placebo effect. And, um, he said it went back to the Renaissance idea that imagination was uh, the major mediator between body and mind. Which
1: is starting to be proven as possibly correct.
2: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And In the 1930s is when they started publishing papers on the placebo uh, and actually doing clinical trials. And um, they said one of their points in the 1930s was confidence aroused in a treatment, uh, the encouragement afforded by a new pr- procedure even, like just people getting treated in a new way. People would say, oh, well, this is going to work. Right. And it maybe did work.
1: And then we're up to the 40s where Beecher comes along, notices the placebo effect himself, ultimately comes up with the double-blind placebo-based study. And what's ironic about that is the placebo-based double-blind study ultimately has split back off into the study of placebo again. Yeah. Because there were so many trials where the placebo was more effective than the drug, even though the drug worked, but the placebo worked even better. Yeah. And finally in the nineteen nineties people were like, What is going on here? We need to study this thing in and of itself.
2: Well yeah, because one of the things I had no idea I thought placebos were only used in studies for efficacy rates. Mm-hmm. I did not know that they are there are doctors always have been and still are prescribing placebos yeah. as medicine. Yeah. Unknowingly, even though they're not supposed to, we'll get to that later.
1: No knowingly.
2: No, unknowingly for the patient. Right. Even though they're supposed to tell the patient. Yeah. But We'll get to that uh, toward the end, but I had no idea that they were prescribing placebos to people.
1: Yeah. And in their defense, a lot of times, um, doctors are carrying on a tradition where they don't have anything else to prescribe. Yeah. But they can't say, if they say that to their patient, the patient's just going to go off and suffer. So at the very least, they can use the last ditch attempt of saying
2: psychological trickery. Take,
1: take this. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, and I'm not knocking it. I, I just was surprised to learn that that still happens. Yeah. And I'm wondering if I've ever been given a placebo, and it makes me feel dumb as a patient to say, like, yeah, man, that whatever you gave me really helped. And the doctor's like, right? yeah, yeah. Because it's the
1: same thing as that high Sugar school prank pill. of, like, giving somebody non-alcoholic beer and telling yeah. them it's a real beer and watching them make <laughs> a jerk out of themselves getting drunk.
2: It's exactly the same thing.
1: So let's talk about placebo. We assume that everybody knows what placebo is, but let's define it a little more clearly. The placebo effect, specifically, yeah. is the very real phenomenon that people, when given a pill or a some sort of medical intervention,
2: that... Feel better?
1: Yes, they feel yeah. better, even though what they've been given is not medicine, and is was not actually a real intervention.
2: Yeah, and the placebo is the pill itself that that is the placebo, and the effect is uh, what you just described.
1: Right, and it doesn't have to be a pill; it can be an injection, it can be fake surgery. Yeah, um, there's
2: it's true, and it doesn't even have to be uh, pharmacologically inert; it can be a vitamin or like an aspirin, even though some argue that's not a true placebo. Yeah, but um. Sometimes that's what the doctor will give you, right? Uh, and call it, you know, medication.
1: But they're they're um, very often things like a sugar pill. Yeah, like you said, pharmacologically inert. Um, and astoundingly, depending on the size of the pill, the shape of the pill, the color of the pill, yeah, people will have different effects and responses to these things that are just sugar. Um, so there's some really strange psychological things going on here and at first for a long time everybody just kind of assumed it was just psychology that we were tricking ourselves into feeling better or we hadn't really felt bad in the first place right and we were being tricked into not feeling bad any longer or yeah. not thinking we were feeling bad
2: any like longer. an offshoot of uh, hypochondria maybe very much so yeah um I th- I th- they they this article says they've been shown to work in about 30% of patients. and That was actually,
1: that's based on Beecher's finding. It was like 30, 352 exactly. Yeah, that's
2: what he found out in 1955. That's what they're still basing that on?
1: Yeah, but there's been other studies that have gone back through Beecher's studies and said, no, 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 this oh, okay. is not that much. Other people have found up to 60% respond to it.
2: Right. And basically, one of the big questions is, is it a psychological effect or are there actual, actual physical responses that are going on? And there's been a lot of research lately that's pretty interesting, I think.
1: Right. So, like we were saying, the the initial idea was that it was all psychological, right?
2: Yeah. Like, uh, Well, I guess we can talk about the two effects, the subject expectancy effect, mm-hmm. which is basically if you know the result ahead of time of the pill you're going to take, you're going to end up... Feeling that result, right? So this, or thirty percent, that's what
1: a blind study seeks to prevent: is a subject right. expectancy effect, right. and also the observer expectancy effect, which is what a double blind study seeks to prevent.
2: Yeah, and that's important because it's or different because it's all self reported, right? Which is always a little, you know, hanky.
1: right? So the other idea, if it has a psychological basis, is that it's classical conditioning, right? That we are raised from birth to think. That if somebody gives you a pill, you're going to respond to it because it has medicine.
2: Yeah. And that is not self-reported. That is actually seeing physical responses.
1: Right. And with classical conditioning, uh, established very famously by Pavlov and his dogs, right? Um, You are, you're having, you're responding physically to a psychological stimulus. Yes. Right? Yeah. So you, you are getting a physiological response. So classical conditioning eventually kind of came to be the viewed as the more, um, reasonable explanation for what was going on. Right. Because, uh, study after study after study has shown that we are having a physical reaction to these inert Placebos.
2: Yeah, one of them in 2002 from UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Institute. Uh, they had a couple of groups of patients, and uh, a lot of the placebo studies are uh, for mental conditions. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them are.
1: Or in um, like the clinical trials. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Um, so this one was for uh, antidepressants, and they had two groups that got um, – experimental drugs, like real drugs. Mm-hmm. And then the third was given the placebo. Uh, they spent a few weeks on these pills and monitored their brain activity with the old EEG uh, wonder machine. And, well, it's not the wonder machine. The MRI is the wonder machine. It's it's a wonder machine, not Shoot. the wonder machine. <laughs> right. Uh, and the patients on the placebo reported positive effects and showed greater increase of brain activity uh, than those uh, who had responded to the drug. Um, you
1: know, I remember that it was the study yeah it totally undermined people's faith in antidepressants because this was on the other end of like the whole 90s where everybody was on antidepressants and i wasn't this study came out and was like people were saying like do these things even work right it was it was kind of taken the opposite way rather than wow the placebo effect is really something it was wow antidepressants are fraudulent
2: right 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 you know well i wonder what they were trying to It was a placebo study though, right? Yeah. So it kind of backfired or did they even care?
1: No, I think they very much cared because they're, when compared to placebo, the whole point of a drug trial is to show That this drug is more effective than placebo. It's more effective than the imagination. Right, right, right. And if it's not, then that means that drug shouldn't be brought to market, even though now the thinking is more like, "Mm, that's not necessarily true because we're coming to understand the placebo effect can be very powerful, Yeah. especially depending on the individual, too.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, The interesting thing about that study is when the EEG lit up, um, the activity was in different parts of the brain. Um, the, I think the placebo, uh, patient said the prefrontal cortex was lighting up. Right. And basically that says that the brain isn't being fooled. It's just doing something different.
1: Yeah. They, they responded better to the treatment than the people who responded to the drug. Yeah. So some people did respond to the drug, but different parts of their brain were activated by the drug than the people who responded well to the placebo. That's right. Even though they felt better. Yeah. That's mind boggling. It is. So they had, they reached the same conclusion, but using a totally different region of their brain and they actually felt better. Yeah. Um, That wasn't the first study to prove that there is a physiological response to placebos. Or last. There was a dental study from the 70s that I think was the first that showed that if you blocked endorphins, which are um, nature's pain relievers, uh, you can also block the placebo effect. So the people weren't responding to the placebo like you would expect them to, a a pain reliever placebo, because they weren't able to release their natural pain relievers.
2: Yeah. And that's backed up, I guess, by this 2004 study from uh, University of Michigan, Uh, go Wolverines, yeah. They uh basically demonstrated that it is related to endorphin specifically. Uh so that I guess that backs up that study because if you can block them.
1: So here's the thing, it's not that study was related to endorphins specifically. Other studies have found that it can be related to how much a person expresses dopamine specifically. Right. So there's like this idea that there's a genetic basis to our predisposition to um Placebos, yeah, but I think that it's depending on the drug or the um effect that you're trying to induce mm-hmm. using the placebo effect, because think about it, if you are somebody who naturally produces more endorphins than somebody else, yeah, uh, you're going to naturally produce more endorphins when it's um triggered by a placebo than somebody who doesn't produce more endorphins naturally, yeah. So there's a genetic basis to it I guess, but I think the genetic basis is that the individual must be predispositioned to be able to have that genetic response right. um to the drug or the placebo and have that, that um that I guess response to it.
2: Yeah, and it like you said, it's all so personal because they found that it is even affected by a person's personal experience with past pills, right. like the color of the pill. The shape and size of the pill, yeah, will have a different reaction because the person had maybe took another little blue pill for something else. Sure, you and know? actually,
1: blue pills in sp- in particular are known to be um, to have sedative effects as placebos. Red pills are known to have stimulating and pain relieving effects in- as placebo.
2: That's odd that they made Viagra blue. Yeah, like inevitably marketed it as the little blue pill. Right. Interesting, sedative effect? Yes. I don't think so. No. So Chuck, we'll uh, not that I'd know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we've got more stuff about all this coming up. I don't know what we're going to talk about next. It's a grab bag right now. Yeah. But we're going to come right back after these messages. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go.
2: We're back, buddy, and I tell you what we're going to talk about, something that I had never heard of, which I think is super interesting. Oh, I know. The nocebo effect. It's awesome. It is super cool, and that is when, well, there's a couple of things. That is when you are taking a placebo, and you experience maybe the effects of the pill, which is great, and the side effects of that pill that you think might be, that you're supposed to have. Right. So you're actually experiencing side effects that aren't, shouldn't be there right and they not- it's a sugar pill
1: they noticed this in clinical trials too because when you're carrying out a clinical trial you have to warn the patients yeah this drug may give you these right. terrible side effects and so they started noticing like people who were who were on placebo were still experiencing the
2: side effects, like physical reactions like hives yeah and itching in things
1: right so there is a there's a negative side to placebo as well, and nocebo means I shall harm, like placebo means I shall please. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, and they found that, and this is definitely backed up by the idea that it's classical conditioning, they found that people who have gone through chemotherapy yeah, uh, can become nauseated when they enter a room that's painted the same color as the room where they received chemo before.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah,
1: so uh, there's all sorts of ways that the nocebo effect can pop up, but it's pretty... Mind-boggling as well.
2: Yeah, and the nocebo can doesn't even have to be just with a placebo. You can experience side effects that aren't on the list of a real drug because of what we were talking about, because it looked like another pill you might have had before. Yeah. Man, the brain. Powerful stuff.
1: So going back to Kapchuk, who I'm, I'm just kind of a fan of. I, I, yeah, if even though he owes you AOC 50? <laughs> yeah. I, I think if you're into like uh, long-form articles, which I love. yeah. Go to Harvard Magazine and search for the placebo phenomenon. And it's a profile of him and his work. It's really interesting stuff. But he was saying that it kind of in line with the idea that like the color of the pill or the shape of the pill will have an effect either on the nocebo or the placebo effect. Right. Um, he was saying that it seems like the basis of the placebo effect is what's called ritual. Yeah. And ritual is... It involves everything from like the physician's bedside manner to how expensive the patient thinks the pill is yeah, to how effective the patient thinks the pill is. And um, he did a study where he carried out what was called schmaltzy, um, like a schmaltzy care <laughs> to where he was just lavishing attention on the uh-huh. patient and telling them how badly he felt that they were going through this. Right. but. This pill is really effective with your condition. And apparently, not just this study, but other studies show that there's a positive correlation between the ritual and uh, response to the placebo effect. So the more you think that this drug is expensive, that this drug is effective, that this physician cares about you, the greater of a placebo response you're going to have.
2: Yeah. You know, I... Have you ever been accused of being a hypochondriac by anyone? No. It's gotta be very demeaning. It is, because it happened to me. Oh yeah? And yeah, I went to the emergency room in New York, as you know. When we were up there recently for our trip, I went to the ER. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh
1: Man, it, that was something.
2: It was something. And it was a result of it was it was throwing up and uh nausea from um I learned from uh, anti-inflammatory pills I was taking at the time mm-hmm. for something else. It had nothing to do with being sick. Right. And um they figured that out, but they kept, you know, this guy, I called him Nurse Jackie. He was just like Nurse Jackie, except he was a dude. He kept coming by and treating me with things and giving me the IV drip. And I was like, dude, I'm not feeling better. And I'm not a hypochondriac mm-hmm. in any way. I didn't go to the doctor for like 18 years straight. Right. And uh I could tell he was looking at me like, oh, I got one of these guys.
1: You were med-seeking.
2: Yeah, and I was like, no, no, and I could tell. I could, could sense it. And so he finally gave me this uh, thing to drink that um, knocked me out. I woke up like 20 minutes later and felt felt better. Wow, what was it? Uh, I can't remember. It was um, something to... Gatorade? No, it was like three different things. It was like a cocktail of stomach-pleasing things, and uh, what's the stuff that like numbs you? Uh, Numb my throat, and I can't remember. Lidocaine, I think. Oh, okay. Um and it worked, huh? With pe- yeah, it worked. I woke up and I felt better. I said, you know, I don't feel so nauseous now. And they were checking me out. And I reached up and I felt behind my ear for some reason. And it felt like a golf ball behind my ear. And it had popped up in the last 20 minutes. Wow. And so I was literally leaving. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I got this thing behind my ear all of a sudden. And this guy looked at me like, uh and he called the doctor over. And she was like, yeah, it's, it's very swollen. It's your lymph node. But he wasn't there for that. So he came back over. He's like, hey, what'd she say? I said, well, she said it's a swollen lump. And he said that you're a hypochondriac. And I was so mad at Nurse Jackie. Yeah. I was like, dude, look at it. It's huge. I'm not making this up. And I, I started defending myself. Like, I never go to doctors. and I'm not one of those people. And he was just, he was like, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. And I was just kidding. Yeah, but it made, it totally made me feel like a jerk. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. imagine if like you, if that happened to you a lot too. I mean, that's that just Well, that sucks. means you're a hypochondriac.
2: <laughs> But no, it, d- it definitely made me felt, and I know he was kidding, but it made me feel really bad. Like I'm in there just, uh, what's what's the syndrome? Munchausen. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: We did an episode on that too.
2: Yeah. Uh. Anyway, sorry about that.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, that is BS. But you mentioned the IV. Yeah. I guarantee you that was just saline, and that's a, a placebo in itself.
2: No, I mean, they told me that. I mean, they didn't say, like, this is the wonder bag.
1: <laughs> right. But there's basically I'm no reason to give you saline solution.
2: Well, to hydrate me, I guess, if I'd been throwing up. Oh, yeah, okay. But, um, yeah, I guess you're right, though, to see, like, something dripping into your arm. Like, surely that's got to be right. doing something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one interesting thing is, back to placebos, there have been studies that have shown that uh, if you don't tell the patient what they're supposed to do, that they don't work as well.
1: Yeah, they even found that with drugs that they know for a fact work.
2: Yeah, if you don't tell them, it won't work.
1: Yeah, they they did a placebo-based trial with a painkiller, and the painkiller proved more effective than placebo. And then they did another trial with the same painkiller, didn't tell anybody what it was, yeah. and it didn't work. Interesting. And then conversely, this is the one that gets me. Yeah. The study where they <laughs> – is so crazy. I know where you're going. They used an injection that they put into patients' jaws in the study. Yeah, which that sounds awful. Which is mean yeah. to induce pain. Like that was the point. They were trying to induce pain in somebody's jaw using uh, saline. harmless but painful jaw injections. Yeah. And they would inject saline into the jaw um, to keep the patient's self-reported pain level steady. Throughout the study. Yeah. And then they used another injection and gave them saline but told them this was a pain reliever. And everybody's pain across the board dropped as a result in the study. Unbelievable. Placebo effect. I could just sit around and and (laughs) rattle off studies all day.
2: It's pretty interesting. What do you think about uh, ObaCalp?
1: Yeah, it seems... Kids are dumb. You could just call it placebo anyway. I think it's unnecessary.
2: Well, Obacalp is placebo spelled backwards, obviously, and that uh, in uh, 2008 was, I guess, sort of invented or not invented, but coined and packaged by a mother, uh, I think Australian, named Jen uh, Bootner. She Australian. I don't know. I think so.
1: Is that an Australian last name?
2: And the, no, I don't think there's such a thing. Um, and so. That's basically placebos for kids. It's marketed. You can, you can buy a bottle of Obacalp and it's for when your kid isn't feeling good. But, um, you, you, but you know your kid's not sick, that kind of thing. Right. And so you give the kid the pill and it makes them feel better. And some people have problems with this and say you're teaching your child that you get relief from pills only. Right. When they're, you know, don't necessarily need to be taking pills all the time. And proponents say, you know what? It's, it's the same thing as putting a bandage. Or kissing a boo-boo. It's like you said, these are dumb little kids.
1: I, well, I remember a growing up with the children's aspirin, the orange aspirin. I'm pretty sure those were just sugar pills. You think I ate a whole bottle of them once like and Flint- I was fine.
2: <laughs> no, well,
1: but those are vitamins. So. It was children's aspirin. Oh, oh, oh. I think they were orange flavored.
2: Yeah. I totally remember those.
1: Yeah. I think those were probably a placebo. I
2: remember the. Taste like I can still mm-hmm. sense that. They're good. they That's were why delicious. I ate a whole bottle of them once because
1: I was a little fat kid. You, you didn't eat and get sick? No of those sugar pills? I have, I think so. Cause I even remember I was old enough thinking like, I probably shouldn't have eaten that whole bottle of
2: those things because <laughs> it's medicine and washed it down with a scotch. And I was right. And that was fine afterward. Well, they do have legit baby aspirin now though. Do That's- they? <laughs> I'm starting to doubt everything. So
1: start talk about doubt. Uh, There are plenty of criticisms of all this. And we'll talk about them right after this. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice.
2: That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. That's right, there's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store.
0: Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, I'm
1: big time into the placebo effect. I can tell. You're big time into the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. There are people who are not. That's true. There, uh, it, it raises plenty of skepticism, which again is one of the reasons why my hat is off to Ted Katchuk, because he has responded to the criticism. He's adjusted his methodology. Yeah. He's doing really good science in the investigation of the placebo effect. I like that guy. Still, skeptics say... There are a lot of things that you can use to explain away the placebo effect. Yeah. For example, it's possible the person was actually a hypochondriac. Yeah. They weren't actually sick in the first place.
2: Yeah. It's possible that some people get better with no treatment.
1: Yeah. It's possible that some diseases do treat themselves. Yeah. They just get better over the course of time. Yeah. Well, and if, if you overlay a placebo effect or a placebo and, and you put that over the same course of time, right. it's going to look like it was the placebo that did it, when really it just healed itself.
2: Yeah, which is why they, critics call for studies where there is uh, one uh, group that is not given any medication whatsoever.
1: Right, exactly. Which makes sense. So um, uh, one of the other criticisms, though, is that if a doctor is is saying, and there are, like you said, plenty of doctors who do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there were studies that found that, um, a 2007 study from the University of Chicago found 45% of 200 doctors surveyed in the Chicago area, uh, had prescribed placebos before. Yeah. At some point during their career. In
2: 2008, they did a little more robust one, uh, 600 doctors all across the U.S. And half of them said that they had prescribed placebos.
1: So this is like, this is still going on. It's a thing. It's pretty widespread. Yeah. And the criticism is, well, that means doctors are lying to their patients. They're using deception to practice medicine and, and that's unethical. So yeah. the AMA came out with its a guideline that's kind of, it flies in the face of the placebo effect or the idea that yeah. if you give somebody a placebo and tell them it's a placebo that it, it shouldn't work. Which is not necessarily true.
2: Yeah. In 2006, the AMA cam, uh, came out and said, uh, quote, physicians may use placebos for diagnosis or treatment only if a uh, patient is informed and agrees to it. To me, that means it's not a placebo. I mean, I guess it is. But if you know it is, I don't get it. Like, what's the point of a doctor coming in and saying, I'm going to give you the sugar pill? Right. Would Would you like a prescription for sugar pills? And you S- say, yes, I would.
1: Supposedly, there are... Um, studies that show the placebo effect is still possible. Still works. Yeah. It, sometimes. But the, uh, across the board, pretty much everyone believes that if the placebo effect is a real thing. The cat's out of the bag. It's, it is part of the imagination. <laughs> yeah. And that you do kind of have to fool the person into thinking that it's a real thing. The expectation coupled with imagination provides the placebo effect.
2: Yeah, and this article points out, too, we're not just saying these doctors are lying liars. Um, apparently, one one tack that a doctor can take is to say, "Uh, I, I have something that I think can help, but, but I don't uh, exactly know what the deal is with it right. or how it works, right. but I, I'll give it to you if you want to try it. And you know how people are. A lot of people are like, sure, I'll try anything.
1: Right, exactly. That's not really deception because... If the doctor's prescribing a placebo, he or she obviously does believe in the placebo effect. So he or she does think it could work, but doesn't know how.
2: Yeah. Or if it only really does work in 30% of the population, then you've got a 70% chance of striking out anyway with this course of treatment. All right. Uh, so you're back to where you started to begin with. Yeah. And again, so we it's, should, it's, that falls under the what's the point right. category.
1: Now, again, we should say that a lot of physicians who do prescribe placebos aren't just doing it to toy with their patients. They're oh, doing it because they think that their patient will suffer more yeah, without it. Sure. Or they just don't have anything that could be used to address the patient's problem. Like they can't find anything medically wrong with the patient. But just saying that to the patient's not going to help, so here's a sugar pill. Yeah. Um, the other tack that a doctor can take to Chuck is um, to say, hey, new patient, welcome to my practice. Let me tell you about the placebo effect. And in the course of me treating you sometime during your lifetime, I may find that a placebo will be the best thing to use. Yeah. Are you okay with me doing that to you at some point, possibly?
2: Basically like signing up for my own personal uh, long-term study. Kind of, yeah. As a doctor. But wouldn't you, from that point on, be like, you just gave me the placebo It's <laughs> yeah. a
1: placebo. <laughs> yeah. I know
2: it's a placebo. I wouldn't know which way was up. Like, I don't know how to feel. That's the drug. Better, worse, side effects, none. Yep. And the other tech doctors can take is to knock off early and go hit the golf course.
1: Which they do that one a lot.
2: <laughs> on TV. That's a, that's, a, that's such an old bit. Trope. It's like, yeah, cops and their donuts. Is that? Doctors was, in golf? Yeah. I think that
1: one's pretty accurate.
2: I mean, in Caddyshack, the doctor was Dr. Beeper. Yeah. He
1: was the one who just got mad all the time, right?
2: No, that was Judge Smales. Dr. Beeper was, uh, he was just one of the guys, uh, one of the, uh, foursome. Oh, uh, okay. That I think he he played, uh. Was it Buck Henry?
1: Was he the doctor?
2: No. I can't, I can, I can picture the guy. It's Buck
1: Henry, right? Is no, that who you're no, picturing? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> We'll figure this out offline. How about that? Yeah. All right. If you want to know more about the placebo effect and believe us, there is plenty more to know about it. You can type those two words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, since I said that, it's time for listener mail.
2: Uh, I'm going to call this Australian last name. Uh, This is, he says, Dear Josh, Chuck, and Jerry, and anyone else I should thank. And I think we never mention other people that support us.
1: Didn't we already talk about an Australian last name?
2: Yeah, that was the joke. Oh, okay. It's called a callback. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I just felt like deja vu. This listener mail, though, made me realize that we don't thank other folks a lot besides Jerry and like Noel and Matt, but um, let's do that now. Okay. Like Rebecca.
1: hmm
2: Rebecca is, uh, what's her official title? I don't even know what titles are around now. Uh,
1: producer? Web producer, maybe?
2: Yeah, I mean, she handles our website. Yeah, it makes everything look great. Yeah, and uh, Sherry, even though we do our own social media, Sherry does social media for How Stuff Works.
1: Yeah, and she like throws to us a lot.
2: Throws to us and helps us out a lot. And Joe, our buddy Joe, yeah, uh, is He's a huge eighth. help. Um, and that's kind of the crack staff. I mean, we're answering our own emails, and we're doing a lot of our own stuff. Right. But doesn't mean we don't have help. You know what I'm no, saying? No, we have tons of help. So, so you anyway, know, I just want to say thanks to this one. That people.
1: is very nice
2: of you, Chuck. Sure. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, I figured six years in, seven years in, we might as well <laughs> shout out some of our help. Uh, so this is from Alex, and he said to thank anyone else he doesn't know about. And he's from Perth, Western Australia, which is nothing like Eastern Australia. Uh, I'm a 19-year-old aspiring electrician uh, trapped in the depths of Western Australia's mining downturn. Uh, due to layoffs in the mining sector, I've been unable to find an apprenticeship uh, and I would have lost hope if it weren't for you guys. I was just after New Year's. Uh, it was just after New Year's, January sixth, twenty fourteen, when I came across the magical production called "Stuff You Should Know." Um, as at the time of this writing, it is May tenth, uh, and I have finished the epic adventure of six hundred episodes plus. That's in a very short time, my friend. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's been an amazing journey, and uh, I want to thank you for pulling me through the hard days of resume writing and delivering. Uh, long days of waiting uh, previously were mind-numbing, but have since been filled with interesting, insightful, and overall incredible, enjoyable content. My favorites, Gene Patents, Lobotomies, and the masterfully dictated Halloween episodes. We like those, too. Those Alex. are some
1: of my favorites, although Christmas, I think, is the best.
2: Uh, so, cue the exi- uh, existential crisis after um, you guys forming such an integral part of my life over the past five months. I don't know how I'm going to acclimate myself to just two a week. Um... And we hear that a lot from people who mainline the show.
1: Yeah, there's like a uh, a withdrawal period.
2: Yeah, and I've done that with TV shows, you know.
1: I do that with fresh air.
2: You mainline it and then you're like, well, I need it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would just like to sincerely say thank you to both of you and Jerry and anyone else for pulling me through these times and hope the future contains a stable job for myself, more content for yourselves to pass on to the Stuff You Should Know Army and an ever-growing fan base that you can both woo with your dulcet tones and enlightening information, yours faithfully. That is Alex Giddings from Perth.
1: Thanks, Alex.
2: Yeah, Alex, yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope, hope you cool. get a job, buddy.
1: Yeah, for sure. If you're in Perth and you're looking for an electrician, contact Alex.
2: He's shockingly
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Chuck. <laughs> so terrible. We're ending on that one. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at syskpodcast. You can join us on facebook.com slash stuffyoushouldknow. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.